With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Dr. Joel Berman has written a number of books concerning nutrition. There's the wildly popular Eat to Live. And then, as I understand it, the most recent is The End of Dieting. Thanks for being with us, doctor. Oh, my pleasure. Great to be here. What do you mean by the end of dieting? Well, you know, the end of dieting means that if you go on a diet and you lose weight, it's not going to work unless you eat that way for the rest of your life. Because anything you do over a temporary period of time, and the word dieting has this implication, you're doing it temporarily to drop some weight. And my point is dropping weight is not going to stay off you unless you continue doing that forever. Because then you go back to eating the way you were eating before, the weight comes back, and then yo-yoing your weight and having your weight go up and down is worse than not losing it because it's dangerous, produces more saturated fat on the body, raises cholesterol, increases your risk of cancer. What I'm saying is that traditional dieting makes you sicker, not healthier. And what I'm saying here in the end of dieting is explaining the addictive nature of frankenfoods, modern processed foods, how food manufacturers get us addicted to their food, cause overeating behavior, help you don't pay attention to the nutritional quality of what you're eating and eat a lot of natural phytochemical rich plants you're going to be a food a calorie consuming monster and you're never going to control your calories permanently for the rest of your life so it's all about i should say um, eating to prevent cancer is the secret which you continue forever for the rest of your life you eat the foods that are most powerful anti-cancer effects and then you eat that way forever, and that's the only way to keep a favorable weight forever. And the only benefit to changing your diet is something you can maintain forever and do for your long-term health. What about standard diets cause cancer or certainly don't help? And what about the way you prescribe eating uh, is, uh, protects against cancer? Well, you know, the standard American diet, I always make the joke and say the standard American diet has been designed by ISIS because it couldn't be better core, you know, designed to kill people in the way we have it now. It's 60% of calories from processed foods like pasta and bread and salad oil and mayonnaise and donuts and cookies and crackers and rice cakes and breakfast bars and chips and soft drinks. The point is, is that these foods have no significant micronutrient load. They don't contain all, their, all the vitamins and minerals of natural foods. They don't contain any antioxidants or phytochemicals. And then, so that's 60%. And then Americans eat about 35% of calories from animal products. And animal products are calorically dense, they're rich in fat and protein, but they still don't contain any antioxidants and phytochemicals, and they're low, relatively low in vitamins and minerals. So we still have this ubiquitous deficiency of micronutrients in the American diet. And then the food that's been, the foods that are most um, what's the word, scientifically documented to extend human lifespan and prevent cancer are called vegetables. Who would have thought? Right. Vegetables. Americans, Americans only eat 2% of calories from vegetables, 2%. It's almost like we're doing the opposite of what scientific science says that we should be doing. You know, I, I always say we've, we've landed the man on the moon already. And what I mean by that is we already know how to win the war on cancer. 
It's been well established in the scientific literature. We can, we can knock out more than 90% of common cancers like colon, prostate, and breast cancer. And the answer is, of course, vegetables. But people want to, they want a different answer. They want to they have a magic pill they can take so they still can smoke cigarettes and knock at lung cancer or eat hot dogs and pizza and donuts and bagels and knock at breast cancer. And it's never going to happen, obviously. It's, um, what I'm saying is life is not a fairy tale. We become what we ate in our past, and we develop the health issues caused by the foods we put in our mouth. And so what I'm saying, so, so yes, I'm saying that the American diet, which is only contains about 5% of calories from non-potato produce, is ridiculously deficient, causing almost all the diseases that we see, heart attacks, strokes, dementias, cancers, obesity, diabetes. It causes untold human tragedy. And then the diet style that I, um, that I advocate called a nutritarian diet. Nutritarian is the term means rich in, naturally rich in nutrients. It's, you know, it contains, it focuses on those plant foods with a low caloric density, with the highest intake of the highest um, scientific evidence to, do, to extend human lifespan, slow aging, and prevent cancer. And I have an acronym so people can remember those foods I want them to eat regularly, and those foods are G-bombs, G-B-O-M-B-S, G-bombs, greens, beans, onions, mushrooms, berries, and seeds. And each one of these foods are obviously, we can look at their powerful benefits for preventing cancer, or even making you live longer if you have cancer. But put together a full dietary portfolio that includes all these rich, powerful anti-cancer foods. And then we, you know, then the magic happens and people reverse disease, get rid of their diabetes, recover from psoriasis, autoimmune conditions. In other words, we see people just, um, their, their diet becomes a, something that can heal them. Can you just be specific about the problems with the ketogenic diet? I hear a lot about that. And uh, it seems, I don't know, it seems obviously flawed, but you probably know how to say it better than I do. Yes. Um, you know, there are lots of fads and gimmicks to try to lose weight, and they can be, and it's like we talked at the beginning, they might be effective at maintaining or, or helping you lose weight. But they can't, if they're maintained for too long, they can have significant effects at shortening life, at um, just hurting your health. You know, to, be, to stay in ketosis for a long period of time could be a very negative effect in being acidotic on bone mass, but also an increase in cancer rates. What I'm saying right now is we give credence to studies that have large numbers of people in them and follow these people for decades and then look at hard endpoints like death or cancer rates or, heart or cardiovascular deaths. And with ketogenic diets, we see when we look at the studies on keto diets where they're restricting fruit and they're usually increasing high-fat foods, including oils and animal products, and we find that those diets are associated with earlier death. So anything could look good in the short run. Even feeding a person a diet of Twinkies can look good in the short run because people get sick of eating so many Twinkies. And they reduce their calories and they drop some weight, but over the long run, they're not going to live very long on a Twinkie diet. Okay. The point I'm making is that we look at long-term any diet that omits fruit completely. What I'm saying right now is that diets high in vegetables are the most powerful against cancer, but diets that contain fruits and vegetables 
are more anti-cancer longevity effects than just vegetables alone. The combination of fruits and vegetables is more powerful than vegetables alone. And in a keto diet, you're essentially removing a major plant group from the diet, thinking that keeping you in ketosis is going to benefit you long term, and that's proven to be false. Thanks, what I'm Doc. saying right now okay, also oh, is that when you take out any major food group, when you, when you take out nuts and seeds, beans, or you remove, you know, green vegetables or fruit or any of these, you know, mushrooms, you t- we see um, populations don't live as long. So removing beans from the diet, you don't live as long. Removing the nuts from the diet, you don't live as long. Removing, of course, fruit from the diet. So you'd have to remove, you know, mo- all carbohydrate-containing vegetables, at least most of them, and almost all the fruit to be in ketos and ketogenic. And it's because there's very little, you know, you're not eating much, you're not eating grains, you're not eating fresh fruits, whole grains, and you're not eating most starchy carbohydrate-containing vegetables and beans. There's very, very little left to eat. So then you wind up eating a lot of oils, which have no micronutrients, which have no net fiber and no phytochemicals. So then you're diluting the micronutrient density of your diet because your diet is just more, is more containing more, more higher calorie to nutrient density, and also even chronic acidosis. So it's a lot of a lot of negativity to a keto diet. A lot of proven problems with it. All right. Now, G bombs, greens, greens, beans, onions, mushrooms, berries, and seeds. Seeds. Okay. So when you say greens, that's the part where you have a big salad every day, right? That's correct. That's one of my mantras. I want people to have a big salad every single day. You know. And then you get to the beans. That's pretty straightforward. When you say beans, a cup and a half of beans a day, maybe in the salad. Beans like black beans, red beans, kidney beans, pinto beans, that kind of beans? Yeah, not a cup and a half, just a half a cup to one to one cup, depending on you know what your needs or your caloric needs would be. But just like some, it would be good to eat some beans every day. And some people have to start with smaller amounts and build up if they don't digest them well at the beginning. All right. Now, I'm interested in the onion factor. Onions have their own categories. What is it about onions that's so important, and how, how much onion? Well, we do want people to put some raw scallion or raw onion on their salad. You know, I also, in some of my, a lot of my soup recipes, I have them blend onion, scallion, or leek into the base of the soup, like to make a slurry in the blender, and then dump it in the soup. Because, you see, onions have an enzyme called alienase, in the cell wall. You know, people know that because they know when they cut an onion, it makes their eyes tear from the sulfenic acid, right? Mm-hmm. So we're forming a chemical reaction when the raw onion is cut or blended, and that's forming these anti-cancer organosulfide compounds. And we know that, for example, studies on onions show between a 50 and 88% reduction in, in cancers and people who eat them regularly based on the type of cancer and the amount of onion eaten, we're usually trying to get people you know, to have like a quarter cup of chopped raw onion a day. And, and of course, and even more if they buy cooked onion mixed in the foods. But what I'm saying right now, something that's kind of interesting, but if you blend the onion while it's still raw and the enzyme is activated, you're forming the organosulfide anti-cancer compounds in the blender or in the chopping bowl. And then you put it in the soup to cook and the, and the soup or the stew or the chili won't destroy the beneficial anti-cancer compounds. But if you put the onion into the soup or the stew or the chili whole without blending it, then the heat will destroy the alienase compound. It's heat sensitive. And then when you chew the onion or blend the onion or chop the onion, it won't cause the sulfenic acid. It won't cause the beneficial compounds. So the trick is to put it in your salad raw or to put it in your cooked meals where it's been blended or chopped finely before it's been cooked. So if you eat the onion raw, it does the job. 
Absolutely. And of course, it, you know, it's a powerful and people, you know, I've in my life, I think I've, you know, you know, underestimated the power of onions until, you know, maybe a dozen years ago when all this new information came out. And I started realizing I didn't even like onions and scallion that much. And now that I started eating it more, I love them because they develop a taste for them. I put them on, I'll put like, you know, make a, you know, a, a, a nut-based cream sauce, drizzle some thickened tomato sauce with, sun, with chopped sun-dried tomatoes in there, and then, of course, sprinkle some either red onion or some chopped scallion on top. It's, and it tastes great. I mean, you get used to eating it, and I love it now. But how much onion do you have to have a day to optimally? Half an onion? Yeah, I'd say if you got a half an onion a day, that would be great. The next interesting... You know, I don't do a half an onion a day probably all the time in my salad, but between my, myself and my wife both, we probably do something like that. But then, but then every few days I'll have, I'll have cooked onions and the things we're eating that have you know, blended in. So it's probably, I average out to at least a half an onion a day, both raw and cooked. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so if you're going to cook with the onions, make the slurry first so it can combine up before it gets into the heat. That's right. You want to, because you want to have the chemical reaction occur to form the beneficial compounds before you heated it. Like I used to make my soup, my anti-cancer soup, by telling people to plop the whole large onion in the soup. And once it gets soft, take it out with the tongs and put it in the blender, cream it up and pour it back into the soup base. Now, that was years ago. And then, then about um, 10 years ago, I changed that and said, no, you can't, you can't do it that way. You're losing the anti-cancer benefits of the onion because you're heating it before you're chopping it. You have to chop it or blend it, and then you can heat it. How did folks, folks, how did scientists, uh, folks like you, come to study onions at all in the first place? Was there some sort of clue that onions were good for this kind of thing? I think that all these foods are studied. You know, all foods are kind of studied and investigated. And as science starts to show benefits, they, there's, then, you know, more money and more effort is put into food, into looking at it further and further okay. and further. So I think that, you know, we do have a tremendous amount of data on things. Like, in other words, in my most recent book, I think I have more than probably 3,000 scientific references in the book going over the, you know, the heart of what I'm talking about to support it. So it takes a tremendous amount of review of the data and the raw material scientific studies to be able to put, a, put one book together, you know what I mean, in this field. Is one uh, species of onion better than another? Uh, well, I think scallions are really great, and I also think the red onion is a little bit more probably richer in beneficial nutrients than just plain yellow or white onion. They're all great, but, you know, but the red onion's particularly, and it also has that the great taste, too. We move into mushrooms. I love mushrooms. I, I, I have no problem with eating a whole bunch of them. Can you give us the lowdown on that, just like you did on the, the onions? Why, why it is the case and how to prepare Right, mushrooms are better cooked. You don't. They can be put. They can be plopped in a, in a soup or a stew or a chili whole. You don't have to chop them. You know, you can chop them any way you want them. Um, they don't lose their phyto anti cancer effects when they're cooked in water and and, and, and water based substances. So you can put them in soups and stews and chilies, um, and oh, and woks. You know, wok them in a water. But in any case, um, onions are the most powerful. Um, anti-angiogenic food. And the word angiogenesis means the, promo the promotion of growth of new blood vessels. And, and you have to, and, you know, sugar and insulin promote angiogenesis because insulin is the primary fat storage hormone. And, and mushrooms have anti-fat storage effects and anti-angiogenic effects 
And, they, and in doing so, they're restrictive against the growth of cancer uh-huh. because they don't, because cancers can't grow without um, secreting and, re, and claiming a blood supply. So they have to, so cancer cells have to be able to signal for blood vessels to grow into them. If they can't do that, they can't metastasize and kill you. And onions have um, anti-effects on that. And onions are the most powerful, um, have the most powerful aromatase inhibitors. And that means they have anti-estrogenic effects. And a higher level of circulating estrogen is obviously a major cause of prostate and breast cancer. So onions are very powerful against those hormonally sensitive cancers. And onions have other benefits. They contain the substance called ergothionine, which has a receptor on our cells, which goes right through to protecting the cell's DNA. And, of course, they have other effects that are kind of esoteric, but like they have um, effects to protect, um, help cells recognize each other. They're called antigen-binding lectins, which help cells communicate with each other so onions can recognize abnormal help the immune system recognize abnormal cells to remove them before they can hurt us. So, so there's a host of different connection we have with mushrooms in, in our, I guess, in our genetic development uh, that mushrooms become an incredible part of the uh, human immune system. So onions are angiogenic, but mushrooms are anti-angiogenic? No, no. Onions are anti-angiogenic, and mushrooms are anti-angiogenic. Okay, good. Um, high sugar, high sugar, like white flour and mush, marshmallows and honey and maple syrup, sweets, because they raise insulin, spike an excessive response of insulin, which is a fat storage hormone, has angiogenesis. Ah, okay, so both of these are anti-angiogenic. Do you have some time yes, for some more, some, an- some more questions? This is great for me. I hope you have the time. I do. I have plenty of time. Yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't need any sleep. I can just, Because I eat so many onions and mushrooms, I can stay awake all night. Excellent. We'll continue with Joel <laughs> Furman, Dr. Joel Furman, MD, obviously. You might want to look this up right up now on Amazon during the break. See what I'm talking about. The end of dieting, how to live for life, proven strategy for permanent weight loss and lifelong health. Thank you so much for being with us. We'll continue in a moment on WBZ. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a Midi clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. The end of dieting, how to live for life, proven strategy for permanent weight loss and lifelong health. 
and I'm very interested. I'm, you can tell I'm getting all the details. So I'm, I'm going to try to put this into practice. Uh, you talk about beat. You need to beat emotional eating. That's key. But do you have any? Uh, can you talk about that a little bit and maybe give us a trick on how to do that? Yeah. Well, you know, the food is food is very addicting for a lot of people. And they have a combination of physical addictions and emotional addictions, just like the drugs, alcohol, and cigarettes. You know, it's, it's, it can be difficult because when you eat concentrated sweeteners, you know, high glycemic carbohydrates and too much oil, especially, you know, these, con- these calories that enter the bloodstream very rapidly, it can stimulate the same dopamine centers in the brain that are stimulated by opiates and make food very hard to, you know, Hard to give up. It induces overeating. You become a calorie-consuming monster. We have to abstain from, from you know, we have to get most of our fat from eating nuts and seeds, not from the oil extracted from nuts and seeds because the calories into the bloodstream so rapidly. The same thing with processed carbs, like, you know, white, white, white flour and, and sugar and honey. But nevertheless, what I'm saying right now is the more we um, eat low-calorie, empty-calorie foods, like white bread and pizza and, you know, and we'll eat American food, which is mostly animal products and processed food, and we don't eat colorful plants, we build up more toxic metabolites, especially reactive oxygen species, a form of free radical. So we build up more toxins in our body, and then we become, those toxins, we get withdrawal symptoms from them, the same as withdrawal from cocaine or cigarettes. So in other words, we try to stop eating for a few hours, let our digestive tract get empty, when digestive ceases three or four hours after a meal, people start to feel shaky and weak because the body is circulating these toxic metabolites that are built up in, their, in these people's tissues. And the people feel, you know, headachy and fatigued and, and angry and irritable and stomach cramping. And eating anything again before you even eat the calories, before you get true hunger, just eating again makes you feel better. So they think that feeling poorly like shaky, weak and, weak, and tired, they think those symptoms are hunger, and they're not. They're just withdrawal from their poor diet. So people are driven to overeat calories just to minimize discomfort from their bad diet. So that's the, that's the physical addictive withdrawal part, which combines the withdrawal from reactive oxygen species and the overstimulation of dopamine centers in the brain. And, you know, and then you, of course, and then you have emotional eating tied on top of that mixed together with you, with, so with, with of course, creating bad habit and habit patterns. What I'm saying right now is that modern food is designed to get people addicted, hooked on it, just like a drug. It's designed, uh-huh. you know, these food scientists are trying to have you eat their food over another, so they'll put more sugar and salt in the hamburger bun. They'll put sugar in the burger meat. They'll put salt in the soda. They'll put sugar in the french fry batter. They'll put, you know what I'm saying, they're, yes. they're doing whatever you can to make people want to eat more of their product. And it gets, and of course, it's very destructive yep. to a, comp- of a nation's health. And then we obviously have a declining health care system, a, a reducing life expectancy, the most overweight population in the history of the human race, and of course, all the health costs and human tragedy that goes along with that. When it comes to the big salad, uh, you know, we're used to, I, oil and vinegar was, was, would be my go-to, but you're telling me that I probably should stay away from the oil in the oil and vinegar. That's right. One unique feature of the nutritarian diet is all the incredible great salad dressings I make for people, that I show people how to make. And it's mostly made by blending some nuts and seeds with vinegar and the sauce. And instead of using oil and vinegar, 
we're using nuts and seeds in vinegar. So I'm making, a, let's say, a Russian fig dressing with sun-dried tomatoes and tomato sauce with almonds and sunflower seeds with um, black fig vinegar and maybe some roasted garlic blended together. We're making an orange cashew hemp seed dressing or an orange sesame dressing with toasted sesame seeds and some cashews with the peeled navel orange, blood orange vinegar, and a little, and a little bit of um, a splash of lemon in there. So for the or dressing, some- do you do you make the uh, the nuts? What's the word? Uh, blend them, make them into powder so that they kind of infiltrate all through the vinegar. Yes, yes. You blend them with the vinegar and the sauce in the, in the blender so it becomes like a smooth, creamy dressing. So you're pouring this you know, healthy Caesar on your salad instead of the oil okay. in there. It's coming from like the cashews and the hemp seeds. So, okay. yeah, I make such incredible. So that's the key. That's the, the secret is having a big salad every day with a, with a healthy nut and seed-based dressing. Okay. Because almost all the studies on nuts and seeds show about a 40% reduced um, incidence of cardiovascular death and about a 30% reduction in mortality from cancer. So we're talking about utilizing these relatively high-fat foods, but they help facilitate the absorption of the anti-cancer phytochemicals in the vegetables. And when you get your fat from nuts and seeds, because the sterols and stanols, these fibers in the nuts and seeds, bind fat so tightly, some of that fat is carried out into the toilet bowl, passes through you, and doesn't get absorbed so all their calories are not biologically accessible. So there's all these benefits to using nuts and seeds. Also because their calories are absorbed so slowly, the body preferentially burns them for energy. Whereas in oil, when you eat, it's absorbed so rapidly, it has to be stored as fat and it shuts down lipolysis, which means it shuts down the breakdown of fat stores on your body when you, so you don't lose weight. Okay, now, we, the, uh, smoothies. What do you use as the, the liquid part of the smoothies? You don't use almond. Do you use almond milk? You do. You could, but you can make your own almond milk. You just throw water and almond and a date in there, a little um, vanilla bean powder. You know, you don't have, you can you can put a little almond milk in, but you don't have to. You can just add water in the almonds and the hemp seeds. And I can and I use a lot of wild berries and you know, wild blueberries in my smoothies because I want to make the smoothie be like a, a like a blended salad with greens in it. And then you can flavor it with a little bit of like with, with some berry, which is kind of which is not high in sugar, you know. Are there any conditions that people have that would exclude them from this diet? Uh, I don't, I'm not sure what they would be. Maybe something that wouldn't allow them to have nuts and, or seeds. Yes. In other words, um, there's some modification of a diet necessary for certain medical conditions. There's what are no the one diet that can fit every person. You know, for example, a person with, um, Ulcerative colitis, bleeding from the gut, can't really have much raw vegetables, and we, ha- we have to, and being, we have to give them a diet of mostly cooked foods, and, and especially while they're active and inflamed. Eventually, mm-hmm. we can improve them through nutrition and get them off okay. the kind of diet. So, a there person are... with kidney failure, um, too much potassium in the diet with kidney failure can overwhelm the kidney, so they can't eat too much of the high green, high potassium containing vegetables. They have to be limited. So it is some some unusual type medical conditions we we have to be a little careful with. Yes. Okay. There's so much now. I don't see. I didn't see any mention of eggs, dairy. Do you just stay away from eggs and dairy and all that sort of thing? Yes, we're trying to have people, you know, utilize animal products as a condiment to flavor a vegetable dish, not as the primary source okay. of calories in a meal. So we, so we give people the option of, you know, we want them to move them towards a vegan diet, 
and they don't have to be a complete vegan, but we do want them to limit, limit their animal product consumption because all the blue zones, all along with societies, and we see in the, in the studies we have on longevity and reduced risk of cancer that animal products, especially as it goes above 5%, definitely above 10%, we see increase in death in, in a dose-dependent manner as you go from 10 to 35%. The American diet is about 30 35% of calories in animal products. It has to be dramatically reduced in consumption if we're going to see a change in the health care issues. And for some people, of course, that have certain medical conditions, you know, we want them to completely cut out animal products, such as advanced heart disease, looking to reverse it. They don't need bypass a stent. We want them to obviously um, get down on animal products even below 5%. And that's where Dr. Ornish and myself, you know, stressed as that getting below 5% when the magic happens and you see cardiovascular reversal occur, as opposed to not developing heart disease, you actually see the heart disease melt away. And, you know, and also, you know, obviously, Bradley, that I have a, a retreat in San Diego where people from all over the world can stay there. You know, instead of coming to see me, like for a medical visit for an hour, they come to see me for two or three months. So they stay in my retreat for a few months. And these people with diabetes or heart disease or psoriasis or serious illnesses, I can have them stay there and be fed this very special diet designed for their condition, have them lose weight, show them how it can make it taste great, have them uh, the ability to abstain from their illicit love affair with rich food and get away <laughs> from those addictive foods that they can't eat. In their, you know, some people just... Could, you know, obviously, most people read a book, they watch a video, they learn some information, they do this on their own. But some people who are, as we talked about, who have the most severe addictions and medical conditions, it's not sufficient to do it on their own because their home environment or, they, or their, their nature, their addiction, just mean, is so I, so I develop a place where people can actually come and stay there to make sure this takes and make sure they remove the obstacles, get the emotional, the psychological counseling, so they get rid of their emotional eating, and actually just change the the um, trajectory of their life, you know, with, with food and with the right type of therapy. Is the the contact information for that place in the book? No, it's not actually, because the book was actually published before the retreat. So, you know, the people can go to my website, drfurman.com, and I have a tab that says retreat. You okay, know, good. I, I, on the website. Furman and is... You can see all my other books there, too. So, you know, folks, Furman is F-U-H-R-M-A-N, F-U-H-R-M-A-N, Joel Furman, M-D. Now, I I have been eating sardines as a source of... This seemed healthy to me. Um, am I way off base with sardines? It's a hard to answer that because a little bit of, you know, fish oil or, or vegan omega-3 or a little bit of fish is shown to be, you know... Um, increased DHA levels in the blood, which is a higher DHA levels in the blood, is associated with larger brain volume and less cognitive impairment in later life. So you could argue that a little bit of fish is good um, or a little bit of, you know, a substitute for that. On the other hand, you know, and I used to think that sardines were probably a better, one of the best fishes, but we're finding out more recently that with the plastic contamination of, a, of, the, um, of, the, of the ocean off the coast of major continents, we have more plastic in the food and, and the larger fish, you know, like shark and tuna and those, um, you know, swordfish are high in mercury and other, and other toxins. Right. The smaller fish, like sardines, have more plastic contamination, more microplastic, which can be – and so we have more – they say that most people in America now have a credit card amount of plastic spread throughout their body from eating foods that have microplastic in them. So another reason why we're saying your diet should be mostly plants and not be heavy on animal products 
is the contamination of our environment, putting more of these contaminants in the food supply, even in, even in fish, both large and small. So you probably it's probably wise to even curtail that to to, to small amounts. Okay. Be, so this idea that you're going to like just eat vegetables and you know eat fish every day, that's too much fish. I would like. You know, we got to be careful about fish. So it's safer to just cut back all animal products. And maybe if and um, okay. and eat fish, not, you know, once not more than once. As a week. condiment, as you as you say. Yeah, as a condiment. Yeah. I got to tell you, this book is it's it's part theory, and then a significant of amount of the book is uh, recipes. And I'm seeing some really interest, interesting things, like the. Uh, Fudgy black bean brownies made out of black beans and figs. I like the black bean cakes in Chinatown, although they're sugary and awful. I like the idea of the black beans. So there are a lot of recipes in there. You, you, like, you make a lot of soup, doctor. What do you use for the, you know, the stock of the soup, for the liquid part? Yeah, you know, uh, a lot of different things. But one of my favorite soups uses like carrot juice and celery juice as the base. Like I'll make, I'll juice a whole five pound bag of carrots and make like a two quarts of cell of carrot juice and with a head of stalk of celery. And then I'll put my mushroom, you know, water and beans and mushrooms and onions and spices and all kinds of, you know, shredded you know, greens in there. But, but um, yeah, um, or sometimes just use vegetable broth or sometimes I use vegetable broth and I, then I um, puree a lot of onion into the base and I make it a very heavy, you know, very oniony flavored soup because you don't, once it's cooked, you don't taste that much anyway. It just adds a lot of flavor to the soup. But so no, uh, it, and oftentimes I put a lot of zucchini and a lot of zucchini in the soup too. No chicken broth though, right? Yeah, that's just chicken and water. I mean, you could add a little bit of animal product to your soup if you wanted to to give it flavor, but um, you know, it's always an option to add a small amount. But you know, our soups are so flavorful, but you don't really, you know, it's not you don't really need that. You could if you want to, but the carrot juice, you know, adds a adds an incredibly delicious like hint of sweetness, and then mixed with the combine it with a hint of spice, just a hint of like a you know a little bit of pepper coming through with the creaminess of the blended onions and the leeks and the mushrooms. So, you know, and one of my favorite soups, of course, like a sweet and sour cabbage lentil soup, we'll use prunes in the soup. And then we put a little vinegar in the soup, a little apple cider vinegar with the prune. To make your broth, say, out of carrot juice and celery juice, you need to have a juicer, correct? Yes, yeah, so or you could buy the juice, juice by somebody, by a juice at the store, like a Whole Foods market, or you buy it in the in the in the, in the um, containers, you know, but it's you're right. It's best to juice it yourself. You know, a lot of people do that because you can buy these big five pound bags of organic carrots and we make the soup on the weekend. And then we put the might have taken us an hour to make this soup on the weekend, but you have you made it the whole for the whole week. So you can, have a, so you can grab a salad and a bowl of soup for the you know for the next six days because you have it made on the mm. weekend with all the beans in it. So it's it's very cost effective and time effective to get all your cooking done in that one stretch while the soup is cooking on the weekend. You get most of your food preparation done, so you're not cooking during the week that much. Do you have just two guys talking? Do you have a recommendation for a juicer? Hmm. There's a lot of really, you know, good brands out there. I mean, I, you know, there's the centrifugal juicer. It works really quickly, quicker. And the auger juicer, you know, is better at extracting greens. So there's, there's different, I don't know. I can't right. really. I'll look um, into it. I don't think I should give a brand name. All no, right. Yeah. It's a lot of. And I guess finally, of course, we have not even, there's so much more. You need to get this book. But your take on intermittent fasting and the value or, or lack thereof. 
Well, I can get to the punchline on that and say that the most critical part of that that extends human lifespan is not going to bed on a full stomach. I mean, let's say a person goes to bed at 11 o'clock at night. Then they should try to finish dinner early, like 6 or 7 o'clock, and not eat between 7 and 10 or 7 and 11. Go three or four hours with no food coming in, then go to bed on, a, on an empty stomach. So that's a form of intermittent fasting, um, is that you try to coordinate your dinner to be a lighter and earlier meal. Um, yes, it's that people are chronically eating too many hours of the day. They're eating too late at night. They get up in the morning, they start eating early. That, so what I'm saying right now is that delaying your calories coming in the morning to extend the period of overnight fasting is not going to be as lifespan benefit as doing it the other way around where you eat, finish dinner earlier, go to bed on an empty stomach, and then eat earlier in the morning. That's a better way to do okay. it. We need to sleep without food in our stomach. We need to have the digestion be finished before we lie flat at night and have the food and the acids regurgitate up our esophagus. You know, the point I'm making is that that's the most important part, the message people okay. should be listening, is eat a light dinner and don't eat late at night. The uh, intermittent fasting, as I understood it, the, some of the value was that anytime you have any kind of food coming in there, you, you're getting a jab of insulin. And to constantly be eating, you constantly have some insulin production and you'd be better off to have uh, stretches where there's no insulin production. Is it, do I have it basically right? No, it's not correct. It's okay. not just insulin. Because that was the case, and you could eat a piece of meat, and it wouldn't produce an insulin spike. Or you could eat a piece of nut. You know, It's not just insulin. It's IGF-1. It's other hormones. It's also the acids in your stomach. It's also when your, your body is more effectively removing free radicals and toxins in the non-feeding state. When food is coming in, it can't really heal and detoxify. And sleep is a period of time when you're removing reactive oxygen species from the brain and your body's um, extending. You know, So the more time you spend in the catabolic phase when you're not digesting food, the longer you're living. And, for example, studies on women with breast cancer show that in enhancing their catabolic window of no calories for 13 hours reduced risk of breast cancer deaths over that 10-year period. I think it was about 30% wow. reduced in breast cancer deaths just from going from a 12 or 11-hour window to a 13-hour window. Just that little change of eating the same food, which is shifting dinner earlier in the day, um, reduced breast cancer deaths so significantly. Thank you very much. Great, great hour. This will be a podcast as well, if, if, if it's any of any use to you to share. Uh, Thank you. It's uh, Dr. Joel Furman, The End of Dieting, How to Live for Life. Really appreciate it, sir. My pleasure, of course. Best of health to you and your listeners, and thanks for all the good you do. Absolutely. Thanks. Bye-bye. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.